0: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all sorts of privacy studies, and you know we are having one of our very favorite guests Dr. Larry Poneman, who we have on as often as we can with his travel schedule and all the great work that he's doing, but we're thrilled to have him on again. Let me tell you, if you haven't heard him, you are going to really learn a lot today. And let me tell you about Dr. Larry Poneman. He is one of the most respected voices in privacy, data protection, and information ethics in the world. In 2002, he founded the Poneman Institute, headquartered in northern Michigan, To be the preeminent research center dedicated to advancing privacy and data protection practices prior to founding the institute dr poneman was a senior partner at price waterhouse coopers where he led risk management uh compliance risk management services for the worldwide firm and he has served on the federal trade commission's advisory committee for online practices and currently serves as chairman of the council of american survey research organizations government policy advisory committee he's done so much more even with the california office of privacy protection i could go on and on and on with accolades but I, I want you to hear him and learn from him but you can learn a lot more at his website at poneman.org larry thank you so much for joining us
1: thanks Mari. it is always a pleasure to join you in your program
0: you always have so many incredible studies. Now, I know that one of the most important studies that I always make sure I read is about um, the the most trusted companies, because that tells me a lot about what's going on with privacy. So why has American Express continued to reign as the most trusted company for privacy?
1: Well, for the most part, we find that companies that have a strong B2C, you know, business-to-consumer, Perspective and, and strong customer services also get very, very strong ratings for privacy. In general, I think American Express is very clear and or very transparent about how they use data because they do use your data, but they also get your consent and they really manage the process better than many of the, of their competitors. So I think in general, it's a combination of just being a well respected organization and they're very good in the transparency side of privacy.
0: So, so you were talking about that they do it better than some of their competitors. What are what do they do a little bit differently? Would you say?
1: Well, they tend to use more of an opt-in model on special promotions and advertisements. They are very careful not to just uh, willy-nilly sell your data. Uh, they just take better care. They view the information about their customers as their most valued asset and that orientation i think leads to a stronger privacy culture within the organization we've been seeing this for years it's not just a you know a, an issue a, an opportunity or a, you know it's something that's happening just for a given a short period of time it seems to be something that american express has it's a culture that exists for many many years
0: you know and they're great for identity theft and for fraud when i find any kind of fraud on my on my credit rep- uh, credit card statement, which, you know, that happens, um, they, I don't have to go through a whole rigmarole. I just tell them what it is, and I've been with them for so many years. I don't have to fill out pages and pages of affidavits or anything like that. They just take it off, and that's it. Send me a new card, overnight mail. I mean, they're really good like that.
1: They're wonderful, and unfortunately, I had an experience, and I am a, admittedly and a, a member of American Express. But I got a second card from my mother, and she's elderly, and unfortunately she was in a nursing home um, because of an accident, and someone stole her wallet in the nursing home Mm -hmm. and had access to different credit cards. And American Express contacted me immediately when they saw there was an unusual event. And, of course, they didn't charge, and they were just so helpful. It was just amazing. So I think it's, as you said, those kinds of issues that leads to a strong sense of confidence and ultimately a higher trust score.
0: Right and and you when you talk to them on the phone I mean they are pretty helpful so that that's a really good thing too so even if they are some of the time when I call in there somewhere in uh, Pakistan or somewhere, but uh, <laughs> but the, most of the time, if I really need to, I can get somebody in the United States. If I say, look, give me somebody in the United States, I, I get somebody in the United States. So
1: Right, you don't want to get Ralph in Pakistan, not to pick on people <laughs> from Pakistan. It's a great country, but when you get somebody, in, my name is Ralph, I'm from Pakistan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, or India or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Now, I noticed that um, while most individuals say that the privacy of their personal information is very important. One of your studies showed that it that 63% of the respondents admitted to sharing information with an organization that they did not know or even trust. So, yeah. what is it's, that all about?
1: Isn't that a crazy finding? You yeah. know, and, and it, in a way you have to step back a little bit because in in, in our research consistently we find that a very very small percentage is averaging about 14 or 15% of the total American population basically are what we call privacy-centric, where these are the folks like you and me that we are concerned about our privacy and we're willing to take steps, even if it's inconvenient, to maintain or protect our privacy. And then the rest of the world, either people say, well, I care about privacy but not that much, or I don't care at all about privacy. And so that 63% conforms very nicely to the people in the middle who say they care about privacy but they're not willing to do anything to protect themselves. So it is a very strange result because while people care deeply about privacy, you know why shouldn't we expect people to do more? And certainly in the, under the condition that you don't trust someone and then you share your data with them, like an organization you've not dealt with before, and you're sharing your, say, your social security number, that is just really bad behavior. So I think that's really the the the, the uh, main issue in that finding is that people are just still complacent, not doing what needs to be done to. To protect themselves.
0: Do you think it's that they're just so trusting that good honest people are just trusting and they just wanna believe that, that if they're doing business with a company that that it's going to be a legitimate company and that yeah. they're gonna be protected Look at social media. Look
1: how much data we we populate on our social media websites. You know, the things that we do and tweeting, and (laughs) it gets to a point where it's absurd. Like, why are people doing this? If people are concerned about their privacy and they want more control over their information, why are they doing things that are just completely against privacy? So I think you're right. Part of it is is this need to to believe that organizations that are going to sell you a product or provide a service are trustworthy. You don't have to read the fine print. You just accept it. Or the belief that there are laws and regulations that are really protecting you as a consumer. All this isn't really true, and I think it leads to big problems down the road for lots of people.
0: And you know the other thing is I, I remember when we were at your retreat and we were talking about the the, the scores that you get how good of a score you oh, get Oh the by, reputation Yeah the score. reputation you know your <laughs> the score, cloud
1: score Yeah but
0: your cloud score for how how active you are in social media isn't there really kind of a, a pressure on of on all of us to engage in things like Facebook and LinkedIn and All the other types of, you know, those are the ones that I'm in. And and I have some Twitter. I'm real careful about what I put up there. But, uh, you know, I think people just really want to connect and want to believe that it's going to work. And they feel pressured to do it.
1: Yeah, it's the pressure that I don't like. You know, you get this email from Facebook. You're you've been tagged. You've been. <laughs> people are angry at you. You didn't you didn't respond. It's been three days. Where are you? It's like my like making me feel guilty, like my mother when I was growing up. So it gets to a. It's really annoying. But but it's also the whole issue. This culture where we have to stay connected like 24 seven. And there's very little downtime. You know, we basically are like slaves to social media or to the Internet as a whole. It's, it's a problem.
0: It, it is a problem. And yet it's there's there's the, all these benefit and burdens. Like I had au pairs years and years ago, and I can communicate with them, and they're in Denmark. You know, I and mean, yeah. that's the fun part. I get to see their kids. You know, they used to take care of my kids. Now I see their kids. So there's such um, a dichotomy of the of the beauty of it, uh, you know, on one side and the connection. And then on the other side, there's this really dark, scary side as well.
1: It is. It really is. There, there, there's a great benefit. I was joking before, but oh, there's no, great benefit to, commu- to to the communication, the ability to reach out to people in different countries to to join groups that are very yes. helpful to you cuz you can learn a lot from others but there's also that uh, the dark side like so what's happening with all of this data that i'm sharing about myself not necessarily personally identifiable information but just private facts about what i like how right. i live my life what i believe in that could be dangerous very dangerous in the wrong hands
0: I know, you know, it's really weird because in the past few weeks, I don't know, I I don't know, you probably didn't see it, but our dog um, was very sick with cancer and we didn't. Yeah, and we were going to let him go and then we couldn't take it. We actually did surgery even though they said that it was, you know, in other places, but we took out his spleen. And anyway, I was kind of sharing that online and I have to tell you, there was such a a rush of of love that came from so many friends and friends from high school and friends from you know like i said denmark and sweden and all this thing that people who were dog lovers like you guys are you yeah. know for them to share and it was it was really something because i i wasn't sharing you know uh, personally identifiable information, although probably I was, you know, my dog's name and everything. Yeah. But um, on the other hand, it really was so comforting to me to have those people who shared that, that love for, for your animal and going through when the animal is sick. And I thought, you know, this is really so wonderful. I'm usually so careful. And I, I kind of poured my heart into it and people poured their heart back out to me. So there's that that real connection that you get, and yet there's, you know, who else is looking at this, you know? Who else exactly. is looking at it, and what might they do? And it's, I, I think it's, it's a little bit um, unnerving to be able to connect at that level and have somebody else, you know, use it in a very destructive manner.
1: Exactly. So unfortunately, there may be a 1,000 people, right, who are just well-intentioned, and they're really caring, they're reaching out to you. But then you just have that one person that figures out this as sees this as an opportunity to manipulate you. Yes, and unfortunately that happens as well. But you know, and, and we shouldn't have like a an jaundiced attitude about this. There's still a lot of value to using social media, and I and admittedly I do use social media quite a bit, especially in my business. My getting messages out about new research or right. you
0: know, communicating
1: with people who are just truly interested. That part of it is really great, and we're, we don't have plans to exit because of privacy concerns. But there are issues, and you can protect yourself at least in part. I think.
0: Yes, yes, I think the the uh, the hidden stuff is the. Is the more insidious stuff, like when you're doing social networking and you think you're, you know, communicating with friends. And I don't accept people for who for friends who I am not who I really don't know. Great, and that's, um, that's
1: step number one, Murray. Yeah, that's <laughs> number
0: one. I really don't. Um, and it's interesting because I have a lot of privacy friends and privacy experts who are friends with me on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Um, I'm a little bit more open on LinkedIn to to communicate. Uh, It's a little bit different because I want to meet people who are in the fields that I'm in. Um, But uh, on Facebook, I'm a little bit more cautious about I don't just friend anybody at all. But um, but I still real careful about what I put on there. But how about like the geo tracking and and, (laughs) all that stuff, Larry? What do we do about that?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. Of all the data that is, that is collected or can be collected, I think a lot of people look at geotracking, geolocation information, as kind of the, this creepy thing, right, that the, the big organization, you know, the big social media entity, the big corporation, somehow knows where you are 24-7, and they can manipulate you to basically turning right versus left in order to get a discount at Starbucks. You know, that is a little creepy, but yet it's the wave, right, because there's real value to people based on location. You know, a lot of people want to get that 10% discount at Starbucks because they like Starbucks. Right. So there is a real value, but the creepiness factor, I think, is preventing people from seeing the benefits. They kind of see the negative side. Now, there are organizations. Some of the large telecom companies collect location data. They've been doing it for years, and they're starting to use it from a for marketing purposes. But I think they do take steps internally to make sure that the individual is not personally identifiable in their in their you know large uh, samples of information that they collect. So they do take steps to protect the individual. But unfortunately, there are probably an equal number of really bad guys that are using that information to ultimately abuse. People, the consumer.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, when it's not really transparent, there's, you know, a lot we can't do about it. I know that when I use my, I have a Windows phone, okay? So when I use my Windows phone, I'm I they don't have the kind of apps that they have for iPhones, but, you know, they're getting there. But every time I was thinking of using an app that wants to geolocate me, I, I won't take it. I won't yeah, do it. I absolutely won't do it. And there's this thing for Facebook for for Windows that that I also have to enable that. So I haven't done that. It's it's uh, interesting, and it, you know. And then I think the younger generation they are just so excited about all these apps that they download them, and they have not a clue. And we're talking about people in their twenties, you know, who are out in the working sure. world, and uh, you know, not not old. Old people like me.
1: <laughs> you know? Oh, you're young. You're young. I'm old. You're young. But i young also, at heart. But think about these new devices. I'm sure you've heard of Google Glasses. Yes. Yeah, this is probably going to be the next big rage, you know, over the next couple of years. But really, what it's what re, that is kind of a spooky idea that you wear glasses and the person that you see, you could actually get their information Yes. as a facial scan. I mean, how are we going to deal with that as society? What kind of privacy protections will we have? For someone that says, "I do not want to be scanned. I, know. I don't want you to know who I am." Um, very, it's just like a science fiction movie. It is. It's, it's
0: similar to Minority Report. You know? It
1: really is. It's the same thing, except you know, maybe instead of having eyeballs implanted, you have a new set of glasses <laughs> that you have to wear. I
0: know. It's and and then uh, what is it? The, the 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 wristwatch that they're talking about with iPhone that that. Um, some, did you see that? Oh yeah, they one. have a
1: watch, and so it's going to put uh, Rolex out of business. I'm sure. I'm sure they're sweating <laughs> it. They're saying, "Wait a second, a watch is kind of like a different type of technology," you know? Yeah,
0: no, but this watch <laughs> is going to have everything on it that you can see things about people that you you meet as well, yep. and and of course, then you can watch TV. And I don't know who'd want to watch TV on a watch. I mean, that would be kind of tiny.
1: You, you know how scary it is. Like people, it, it, it go back in time, like twenty years ago okay, or 15 years ago,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: people, like, who were talking to themselves in a public place were deemed to be insane, basically. <laughs> now you go to, a I don't know, an airport, and everyone's standing there talking to themselves. Why? Because, they're you know, they're talking to their smartphone, but it's in their pocket. It looks just really weird. <laughs> so now people are going to talk to their wrist, and they're, they're going to be looking at their wrist. This is crazy.
0: I know. I, Think
1: of all the back aches that people are going to have hunched over because they're looking at their wrists.
0: <laughs> I know. It, it. It is. I mean, the mind can create these incredible things. But, again, it gets back to like when we talked to Ann Kavuki and about privacy by design. Yeah. You know, you have all these brilliant technologists, and they're not necessarily embedding right into the architecture of what they're creating, these wonderful things. They're not licking at the dark side, and they're not putting that privacy by design and security by design into the product.
1: Yeah, that see, that's, cr- that's criminal. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. in some cases, it probably is. In Europe, I'm sure they look at this pretty harshly, but I've noticed that some of the companies, medical device companies, they, I'm sure, they care deeply about privacy and security issues, but they're not thinking about it in the engineering phase. They right. basically, if they're going to build it into the device, they do it late in the process, or maybe never. Maybe in, when they get their first complaint, security is is definitely an issue. You know, like the ability to hack a, you know, your a, 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 a pump or you know a something that's implanted and is kind of scary. Very
0: scary, But privacy
1: issues also are pretty serious because there's a lot of personal information in the device. And, you know, marketers, crazy marketers might like to know, you know, hey, is this a candidate for a scooter (laughs) (laughs) or an aspirin or whatever? So, you know, I think organizations still need to do a lot more to make sure there are proper privacy protections in the engineering process. Dan Kavukian is great and really like what she has to say about it.
0: Yeah. So, Larry, do you think that... you know, we need laws to require this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, we have some good actors that 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 want to do the right thing, that they exhibit best practices, right? Yeah. But there are so many other companies that don't. So, you know, I mean, is there a carrot <laughs> as well as should we give them a stick? You know, what you would well, we do? Well, the
1: car- carrots are important too, and that's what we try to do in our trust studies for organizations like American Express and, and others that really do a good job, you know, they should be rewarded. And, I, and, I, and basically they are because probably their customers are more loyal and they have a lower churn rate as a result of good data protection practices. But really there's a small group of companies that seem to do it right and a much, much larger group of companies, like the least trusted companies list that we don't publish, There's <laughs> a large number that just don't care about it until, you know, they care about the lawsuit. Right. or the regulatory action. So I think that's where the laws need to be strengthened. The problem with lawmakers and laws, a lot of the laws are just silly, or they're outmoded, or they don't work anymore, like FIPS has been around for ages, and it's basically true today because it's at a principled level. It's not at the detailed level. But if we try to establish requirements with detail, it's probably going to become obsolete You know, yes. very, very soon after it's legislated. You know, the the bill becomes law. So the, the the issue is how do you get the, that right balance and it's it's very hard.
0: Yes. You know, I really like the Canadian way that they do things, you know, with these privacy commissioners mm-hmm. because they can um, take enforcement actions, but they have a whole ombudsman office where they try and resolve these things in a fair way as quickly as possible to help the consumers. And we really don't have that. We have some ch- such, uh, I think, challenges. Like, I have this poor guy now, oh my gosh, and it's been going on, I think I even told you about it last year, where um, his... Um, he was a victim of criminal identity theft and worked at LAX. I even had him on my show because it's so. Oh, I remember him. Sure. And TSA. um, I don't know. We still can't get the background check. We've done a Freedom of Information Act request in 2010 that we still haven't gotten. I've um, there is a lawsuit going on trying to get this information, but we can't even get the background check. And he is literally homeless now. And, wow. and oh, I, I wish I could put them on TV. I wish I could get, you know, 60 minutes or something because my show is not 60 minutes. But, but it is, I mean, this kind of stuff where people who are victims of criminal identity theft can't get a job and they can't really get help. And then they have to go through these long lawsuits where they're out of, you know, they're out of work for years yeah. Okay, And yeah, so we, we if if something like this, if we had an ombudsman um, type thing within a, a commission like they do in Canada, that could be resolved much earlier. And we don't have that. We really Mari, don't have I'm that. I'm
1: completely with you on that. We basically have a system. It's kind of like the zero one. Right. In other words, you basically comply with the law and you're okay, you're a one, or you don't, and you fail, and you're a zero. And there are shades of gray. You know, sometimes laws work for the majority, but occasionally people fall through the cracks. So, you know, it's really hard to basically recover from an issue like identity theft. And if we had more protections in place, I mean, that would be helpful. But basically a lot of organizations are looking at the numbers, and they're willing to sacrifice people because of taking certain types of privacy and data protection risks. It's kind of like a self, you know, they do a a self-assessment, and they say, gee, if we basically, you know, use this data for these purposes, there's some risk that someone's going to get hurt, but it's like tobacco cases. Yeah. (laughs) Only so many people are going to die from cancer, and we can make a lot of money selling cigarettes. Yeah. But it's it's a big problem. But I think that the ombudsman approach is brilliant, and I think really ultimately... It's not about law for the sake of law. It's about helping people. Yes. And it may be a small number. It may be, you know, just a few million people. But, you know, if, it's, and if you're that one, one person in that group and you lose your job, your home, your family, it's a big deal. Yes. And that's where government could be very, very helpful. So I do like the Canadian model.
0: Yeah, because they can even have to go, go after governmental agencies because I was telling Anne you know, Kavukian about this case. And this is with TSA who won't give us the background check.
1: <laughs> not so, surprised.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, have, I mean, this. They have nice
1: uniforms, though, by the way. I'm not <laughs> sure if you notice.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I notice. I always laugh when they pat me down because when I don't, you know, I haven't wanted to go through that machine, so I get it back. I wrong. hate that machine. It's
1: <laughs> terrible. <laughs> And they still pat me down. I don't know what it is. They like to pat me. It's just not... (laughs) Well, I
0: just told them, look, hey, you know what? Give me a... Rub my neck, you know? (laughs) Give me a little massage while you're in it. Okay, that's
1: fine. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So you have this interesting study. Um, It's called, what's your... What's yours is mine, how employees are putting your intellectual property at risk. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, we're here. We have our own little Silicon Valley here, like, you know, Irvine and Elisa Viejo. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about that study and what you found out?
1: Well, we, we, we studied this whole issue of information loss or theft in organizations, and not necessarily by criminals, but by just the average person that's just not careful, and the reason why these things occur, because companies just don't have policies, or if there is a policy, it's not strictly enforced, or people feel like that it's, it's part of their job, their prerogative, is to move data from you know, a cor- corporate system or at your office at work to your home or to a uh, Starbucks or to uh, you send it or to, you know. These kinds of issues create lots and lots of risk for organizations. And what we wanted to do in the study is find out if people – the average rank-and-file employee really saw it as a problem, or did they think it was just a non-issue for them? And unfortunately, we found that the majority of people said, you know, we don't see this as a big problem. You know, we don't really understand why companies would worry about, you know, taking data and putting it into a browser-based file-sharing application. I just picked on you send it, so Dropbox is another example. Right and it's, and it seems like it's a pervasive problem not only in this country but in other countries that we studied as well the remedy of course you know obviously is for organizations to do bet, a better job educating employees because it's not again about bad people although there are some it's about good people making huge mistakes and if that data leaks or gets into the wrong hands like intellectual property it could actually be really costly to the organization and they would never really know that there was this leak that's the other side of the equation the ability to enforce policy.
0: Oh my gosh. It's, a, <laughs> it's
1: depressing.
0: <laughs> it, it, it is. It is because I mean, you want to trust your employees and you want to empower your employees, but at the same time, there, there has to be some good training for these people to understand the ramifications of what they're doing and, that doesn't always happen,
1: right? Yeah, it doesn't always happen. And a lot of organizations figure, look, if they're going to train their 10,000 employees and each employee spends an hour in training, that adds up to maybe a $100,000 of cost or a million dollars of cost. But if you lose one document that has the design of a new aircraft engine, for example, it gets into the hands of a competitor or a nation-sponsored competitor like China, that's like billions of dollars of cost. I don't think people think of data as having real serious monetary impacts to the company, which it does, of course.
0: And, you know, Larry, we are out of time, but I want to make sure you just give your website for all the wonderful work you do. We love you. We miss you, and we hope to see <laughs> you again. But give your website Absolutely.
1: It's always a pleasure, Mari, and the website is www.ponneman.org. Mm-hmm. org
0: Thank you so much, and you take care. We'll be Thank talking you. to you again soon. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash piracy. Download podcasts. Listen to archived interviews and see who's coming on. Write us emails. Thanks. Bye. Stay private.